What did you guys eat for lunch? We went over to this great place called the Penzi. It's right outside of uh, Penn Station, New York City. Beautiful day. Beautiful day, outdoor seating. Nice. Too bad we didn't get get beers. That would have been nice. (laughs) Ruined it. From the ocean, we've, the ocean. we've come some, from the ocean, we shall return. Uh, sooner than later, if you live in the southern coast of the U.S. <laughs> um, cool. So we're doing podcast episode three of the Unknown Podcast, which doesn't exist, apparently. We have two episodes of the podcast. We're the absolute worst podcast producers ever. Goal should be title it by episode five. Okay. Tied by five. We got, we got two more episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Tied by five. What, what about the goal of actually having the pod, people know about the podcast? Because you're our first guest and we don't actually have it. That would be good. I did not know that this existed. <laughs> I, I would have loved to listen to the previous episodes. <laughs> that's right, did, you know, did you know if you were going to be on the podcast today? Uh, I did hear this morning that uh, <laughs> we, we, we might do something like this. Well, you know, that's how we that's how we roll around here. We just fly by the seat of our pants. You know, spontaneity has a lot of value. <laughs> Cool, so we are here, episode three officially, the Ember Map Podcast, unless we come up with a more creative title. All right. And we're here with Luke Melia in New York City. Hey guys, gals. Co-working with us in our and Ember Map's new WeWork office, which we've had for a couple weeks now. Pretty pretty nice here. Pretty awesome, up in Penn Station. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to talk about Ember stuff. Um, what we want to do with the podcast is, you know, we think there's a lot of good podcasts out there, a lot of good resources for keeping up to date with Ember. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when we work, we just kind of, it's like what we do after the meetup, right? We just chat about things that we're working on this week, thinking about this week, and maybe have a chance to spend, you know, 20 or 30 minutes talking more deeply about things that we think are important that affect our development. So that's kind of the idea. Cool. Um, Sounds great. I love, I love geeking out on workflow and Real, real world experiences and kind of from the trenches stories. Yeah, it's like the favorite great. part of working in an office too, right? You have those coffee breaks and those lunch breaks and you just talk about what's really on your mind, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, what made me think about doing this with you this week was seeing you tweet about um, some style guide stuff. I think in the last couple of weeks I had seen it a couple of times where you were interacting with someone and Roku came out with Purple 3 thing. I had seen that from, from Ryan and um, some other people. Discourse had to talk about Robin Ward. Yeah, he's doing a Toronto JS talk, I think, this week or so. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, so why don't you talk about freestyle a little bit, which yeah. is an add on we've heard it before. Sure. So I, we ha- I have now, it's, I didn't even think about it really until you we started talking about it, but I have this kind of weird multi year history now of like, thinking and working on style guide stuff. And it started with an Ember NYC meetup um, where Hugh Francis, um, was a mutual friend, friend of ours. Deploy a team. Um, Ember style deploy. Uh, no, Hugh Francis um, is a local Ember NYCer. He runs a consultancy. Oh, sure, sure, um, sure. Sanctuary Computing. Um, and back at the time that he gave this talk, I think he had just 
finished working on a site, uh, Sweet Green's website. Mm, that's right. I remember now. Great salads for those of you who don't get to have a Sweet Green near you. Awesome stuff. At least once a week, I have Sweet Green's. Oh, nice. So um, the, uh, he was working for this, this agency that did website. The website is built in Ember. And um, they are a design-focused agency primarily, I think. And so being a design-focused agency, they wanted to um, take good care with the design system for the site and that each element was really kind of tweaked the way they wanted. And so he made a living style guide using Ember components as kind of the basis of you know, each of these design elements. Um, and he demoed it and kind of talked about the philosophy at Ember NYC, and it really got my imagination going. Mm-hmm. And so uh, not too long after that, um, Chris Presto and I were working on a consulting project uh, with our friends, um, Chris C. and Hassan and Will Bagby, mm-hmm. uh, Monograph, and it was the first, helping them launch the first version of Monograph. Um, and we put this approach into action. And was this, was this like early on in like components becoming a main building block in Ember? Because when they first came out, you know, we were like, we'll use them for date pickers. Mm-hmm. But then they started taking up more and more responsibility. And then we're like, oh, we can use them as the foundation for everything in our app. Yeah. I mean, I would say this it's probably about two, two and a half years ago okay. now, at this point in the story. And um, so they were... They were probably they were pretty well, really well accepted. Yeah. React had been out for a couple of years. So people were thinking all components. Yes. Like, basically, that was the mentality. Definitely. I mean, there were still... You know, one of the, the things in his presentation I remember is like at the time is, okay, but you have like your route templates and you have your components. Mm-hmm. And so what's the interaction between those two things, right? right? There was still that kind of, um, those kinds of questions were very prevalent still. Right. We hadn't been, necessarily got used to it. Um, and so we, so Chris and I started building out this um, new version of this, this website, Web Experience. Uh, and actually a mobile app also that was Cordova driven using this style guide approach. And it was really powerful because the, the most simple thing is in a consulting environment, we could demo how this particular aspect looked even before we didn't, we didn't have anything else built around it that was going to support it working, you know, actually functioning in an app. Um, but you could look at it and play with it. Like you would play with part of the, the like part of the, the UI. components. Yeah, exactly. You would, would you piece together? Like it wouldn't just be a button. It would be like yeah, it would be a more complex, um, you know, combination, a comp- uh, compound component, I guess, right. something like that. Um, and so, and then so we would do that during the kind of our consulting hours, and then every day for I feel like like two weeks at lunch, we would go down to the Whole Foods and Bowery um, and uh, Houston, I guess. Um, and get barbecue upstairs. They have vegan barbecue, which is oh, okay. unusual. Um, is, it, is it made of, what is it made seitan. of? To, to, tofurkey or soy sausage? It's seitan, which is wheat gluten. Not good for the gluten-free folks, but you know, well, can't, can't please everybody. It's, it was amazing. Wow. Um, so anyway, we would get barbecue and we would brainstorm about like, okay, how can we take this pattern, which we think is amazing and it's like super useful and how do we, is there a way that we can package it up and making it more accessible for ourselves and future projects mm-hmm. and for other people in the community. Mm-hmm. And so that's, this is what Ember Freestyle came out of. Cool. Nice. Um, and then Chris drove the development of Ember Freestyle largely doing what I call conference driven development. So he got a talk accepted to EmberConf. Ah, sure. And two years, uh, three years, two Maybe two years ago? Maybe probably 2015, I'm guessing. Does that sound oh, right? Yeah. yeah. Two and a half years ago at this point. Um, and so he you know, was forced to 
do a lot of work to <laughs> get both the talk and the content ready, right. um, the, the project ready. And so then, and we obviously started using it at the time at Yap on our own projects um, and have continued to use it and help evolve it. Right. Um, and I just think it's an amazing tool to have in our in your arsenal. And it also has really informed the way that I, um, I think, conceptualize the, div the dividing lines between components and the responsibilities. Is, is there anything that, you know, you, you kind of imagine this tool as a way to show UI before it's built? Are there, are there any other use cases that you notice like after you start using the tool? Like I can't yeah. live without this because it solves. Definitely. So I would say now that I've been using the wild, that use case that was so cool in a consulting environment is, I don't even do that very often. Right. Um, in fact, you know, the idea of a style guide as something that you consult to determine what your style should be doesn't really fit this definition um, very well because really what this is, is this is like a, a living, interactive, you know, code-driven um, tool for doing development and showcasing and verifying your components. And so, and of those three, showcasing, verifying, doing development, it's the doing development that is, to me, the most transformative. And the way it helps out the most? Yes. So that was gonna be my, one of my questions was, you know, are you doing, when the way you use the style guide through freestyle, are you doing design first and something like sketch? Or is the idea that the source of truth is in your code and it's a way for developers to communicate? Like what, which, which angle is it coming from? Yeah. So at Yap, um, we have a, uh, one of my colleagues, Matt McGannis, is uh, an, an, both a talented designer and an amazing developer. So that's, that's very this is yeah, this is not necessarily transferable to other uh, operations. But um, so he does most of his um, prototyping, wireframe-ish stuff in in, in Envision, mm. um, and then so you we, we move like sketch. Or yeah, we move pretty quickly to to code. To code. Um, so what we, the thing that we use Freestyle for is basically any of our visual components. Um, and this is, I think, this idea that, uh, of where the dividing line is that maybe we can come back to because I think it's pretty important. But mm -hmm. any, so any of our visual components um, basically start life in this style guide uh, before they're dropped into uh, the, where they're going to live in the application. And doing that, we can take kind of the visual idea and put it into action, um, easily being able to see what different types of data looks in it, look, you know, looks like in it, doing different states. Um, and unlike maybe a traditional way of doing development where you might kind of have a component in your app and then you make a few changes and refresh to see it, see it in different states and kind of get it where you're happy with, with it. Um, in a style guide, you can basically have four states of your mm -hmm. list items say, boom, all spread out on the page live reloads working, you're changing code, you're tweaking data, and it's like you see right all the variations all at once. in one go, exactly. and it's not in any specific part of the UI, of the actual app. Exactly. So you don't have to worry about like navigating to the state, getting your user record mm -hmm. into the right state to see this thing. Sometimes we have flows where a user only sees the thing once, and right. once they click the button, they can't go back, right? And so 
you know, we've been there where we've been doing this thing that we think, oh, it's so stupid that I'm have this feedback loop that's taking so long. It's like trying to develop a loading screen. Yes. And you, you're like making the thing long and clicking it, and you get your feedback for like half a second, and then you want to change. Totally. Why not just do it in isolation? Yeah. And so um, the talk that you gave the other night about loading data at Ember MYC. Um, put that into action recently of having a is loading state for a, a list that we were rendering. Um, and it was and it worked great with the style guide because I could see it with, um, you know, so here's the state where it's loading. So it's my skeleton UI. Mm -hmm. um, then here's the state where uh, it's got some simple data. Here's its error state where an upload failed. Um, and it's just the, the, it's all, you know, so much about de of development is about how do I create a, like a concise, tight feedback cycle. Right. And this is just an incredible tool to do it, I think. Nice. Now, can you give us an example of one of those UI components? Because you were saying when we go to make something, we're first going to make a UI component. And where we draw the lines is like constantly, maybe that's one of the most important questions. Yeah. So what's an example? Like what's the most recent one? Sure. So the most recent one, the one I was just mentioning is um, a list item uh, thing. And we called it, in our case, it was like a library mode of list item. So we have a new part of our editor that we're building called our library, um, mm -hmm. and it's a bit of a more explicit CMS layer than we've had before in our app. Um, and uh, it's all new UI. It's a ton of new stuff, and, and there's actually a whole, it's, it has its own routing inside of this layer, which is like a whole other conversation that we could have at some point. Um, that was fun to, tricky to get right. Uh, so, but each of these things, um, you know, we're, we're, I think, especially with Matt at the helm of the design effort, we're coming into this much more with a design thinking approach and, and a design systems approach. And so we want to be able to reuse these things as we're doing um, screens for different types of content, whether it's um, you know, documents, list, list, you know, lists of documents or lists of people or lists of uh, schedule items, that kind of thing. Um, so that was the thing that we were working most recently on. And um, we first recognized that we needed just to be able to render a list setting with a document. And so we started, we had it designed for that in our kind of initial pass of mocks and in, using Envision and, and maybe Sketch, I actually don't know the details of Matt's process. Then with a document. Yeah, so it, that meant that there was a, we have a mime type of the model. So we have a translate that to an icon that's going to be rendered, mm -hmm. the name of the document, and there's an X to delete it, right? It's pretty simple stuff. But it's higher level than something like a P tag or Definitely. a div or, or, Absolutely. or a button. Or a button. Yes. It's now, what's important about it, though, is that it is, we, we've learned from this process that it's, it's really important that it's like just visual. And when I say just visual, all it, it basically is rendering something and then it's emitting actions based on some interaction. Um, some simple interaction, clicking, for example. So you could look at the finished product of your application and point out this part is this component. Absolutely. It's in the, it's in the visual output. Yes. It's not anything that is just structural or pure functional only. Right. It has a visual representation. And everything that's responsible for mutating this data, for example, is not, not part of that component. So even though there's a delete button, this thing doesn't know anything about deleting. It delegates right? all, exactly. all behaviors. So it's, it's like a dumb presenter component. Yeah. It's the data down actions up, you know, that's part of that philosophy. Right. Um, right. How, how do you, how do you get the component in an error state? Is that something that you can figure from the outside or from Sure. So um, there's a tool, uh, there's a uh, component that Freestyle provides. Um, it's called Freestyle Collection. 
And then freestyle collection yields a collection argument, I guess, that you can then do collection.variant and you can make any number of variants of this in, within this collection. And so we use this pattern for basically different states of the same component. Um, it's not much fancier than that in as much as in each variant, I'm repeating the component tag and passing in whatever properties I want. And so the properties that I'm passing in are going to be uh, come from a usually like an example backend component for this kind of mm -hmm. freestyle component and that just has dummy data in it. So it's going to be like you know, example document name, boom. And then it be for uh, you know document uh, failing document upload in the component colon and then state failed, you know progress 67% or something. And then that's those are the arguments that I pass in in that variant. So the caller, so when you finally use this in your main application, whoever is using this, the caller, mm -hmm. they're going to pass in something that is like state equals, and it'll be, let's say, failed. It's not state. Yeah, state is probably not the right one, but it would be in this case. Yeah, it would look something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so and we try to make um, the things that we pass into these visual components to be um, either primitive, JavaScript primitives, or POJOs at, at, at most, or, or something that conforms to essentially an interface like it has this shape the, the main point is we don't want our these visual components to like know that they're dealing with a, a document a document model and right. a data model right, right? they can know Maybe that a they, promise because that would be like the extent of it let's say yeah and even even promise I would I would, I would tend to shy away from so I would pass an is loading state right right that's how we do our skeleton UI but when the loading is resolved, the you data I'm passing, it changes right. and it updates, and that's perfectly fine. And right. if you want to animate between those two things, fine. Drop some liquid fire stuff in there and animate when it changes, but it doesn't know about... It doesn't make any assumptions. Yeah. So you can do cover all those cases. Yeah. Exactly. Have you found that this um, development workflow pushes you towards making more data down actions up components? Yes, definitely. And um, it's, it's, I think overall it's a good thing. Overall, it's a, it's a good thing. Yes. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, and I think I think the the biggest thing that it forces us to think about a little bit earlier than we otherwise might have is um, is this thing that I'm considering passing into this component really appropriate to be passing into it? Mm -hmm. um, because uh, you know, there's just a lot of tendency just to like you know drop in like a whole graph of Ember data models, right, right? and then just start messing with them and rendering them. Um, and there's, you know, nothing, you can do that, that's fine. But I think what we've all learned is that that kills reuse in a lot of ways. Um, you know, it becomes harder to debug things. Harder to change too when you need to change it and there's that, all that knowledge is everywhere in the component graph. Exactly. You and don't yeah, know what, you don't know what properties are safe to change and what's not safe to change. Mm -hmm. And there is, when you do, when you do make a lot of low level leaf components, you, you get reused in unexpected ways. Mm -hmm. So you might be able to look at a count, a date picker and say, of course I'm going to reuse this. But it might, might not be clear that something like a list item is actually reusable. You know, it's like, the, it makes me think of like the media, what is it, the media object? That when that first came out is like the one this one component is going to save you hundreds of lines of code or whatever, and it was like the pro it was like a, an example from Facebook where it had a picture and like justified text. Right. <laughs> and you look at the Facebook interface, and you realize ninety percent of it is like nested media objects, mm -hmm. and so that should be a component, and then you can use it. Oh, I can use my profile, but I can also use it in comments. I can also use it in my team listing or whatever. Yeah. So there's definitely benefits to having. Um, 
a nice system like this for developing and publishing leaf components because it's unexpected that, that you can reuse them sometimes. Right, and the bonus is that you're going to get much more consistent visual experience in your app yeah. when you do reuse that stuff. Otherwise, you're relying on somebody remembering that you know these this CSS needs to be updated when this CSS yes. changes, etc. So and then this goes, this is a conversation that we've had uh, before, but to share with the listeners is kind of about like the CSS patterns that go along yes. with this kind of isolated visual components. Um, and so we're big fans, I don't think it's super popular, but we're big fans of suit CSS. Um, and it's not that different from BEM, which is, is a lot more popular. But the main point is whether you're adopting suit or, B, or BEM or something else is that all of your CSS is going to be um, isolated to your component. All of your component CSS is isolated, with perhaps a few exceptions of some utility classes that are essentially the way we think about globals in software development. Mm -hmm. These are you know, global globals. Something like that. Something like that, yeah. Do you, do you use um, component CSS pod styles? Yeah, we use, so we use um, just the features of component CSS to co-locate a style.scss file with our, with our um, template and component JS, template HPS and component JS. Um, we don't use the automatic scoping. We use it exactly yeah, the same way. We use it the same Interesting. Way. Yeah. yeah. Why Why do you not use the automatic so scoping? So we, we use it at the beginning in TED, and the way we were doing modified BEM syntax, mm -hmm. uh, we do this thing, you know, use the concatenation operator in SAS, mm -hmm. and the scoping was interfering with that. Got so it. we would have to make one set of rules for the root element, and then mm -hmm. anything that was a child that we wanted to use concat with, it, it wasn't letting us do it in the same nice block. We wanted that one block. And it was just too hard to get right. And there's also like modal dialogue will render with the right. wrong pole. So uh, outside of the component. Exactly. So you have to like, you basically end up hacking your CSS. Exactly, file. exactly. No so spot you <laughs> Right, right. Cool. So yeah, why, why did you all take that off? I think I was just vaguely uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Like, I, you know, there's some, there's some like debugability bonus of like be able yeah. to look at something and have it be, make the speed to call the same thing you right. call it in your CSS. So um, that was it. But it does, it also, the thing that you just described make a lot of sense. We heavily use that um, am, ampersand dash oh. pattern, right, in our, in our SAS uh, and, and use, you know, wormhole the ability to relocate these DOM elements. Um, liquid fire, you know, could we suffer from the same problem? Hey, I have a question. Um, now that you have this kind of more mature process for developing like these UI components and you've landed on probably, how long have you been using Suit CSS in the same way? Probably for a while Probably now. two years. So you don't think about like how you're gonna name the class, you just have a it's, method it's, for doing it's it? It's the component, it's whatever the component name is. That's uh, Pascal name. case, that's the name of the CSS class. It gets long sometimes, sure, but, but it's like, just that's the rule. <laughs> right. Do you like writing CSS? Like, yeah, but I've always liked it. Oh, okay. I'm not one oh, of these like developers that like thinks like, oh, that's like the worst part of my job. Oh, that's me. You're yeah. talking to him. <laughs> I, I guess the thing for me, what gives me the most satisfaction about software development is is shipping experiences to you know real people out in the world and. So because that's what gives me the mo that's what drives me, I really in kind of enjoy like getting every aspect of it from top to bottom right. Mm -hmm. And that's include, you know, CSS is a huge part of that. Right, right. I'm really interested in the design system part of it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a big part with the style guides. And I think why, I mean, developers get super excited about style guides, mm -hmm. right? Like this is something that everyone gets excited about. I think developers get excited about it because 
it's easy, makes it easier for them to just throw together things that look good and they don't have to fiddle with things. I think designers get excited about it because it helps ensure that their designs actually get implemented the way they envisioned it. Mm -hmm. um, and they're just cool, like the purple three thing from Heroku. You know, I saw it the other day, it just looks awesome. Um, so, um, you know, we've been experimenting with some of this kind of thing, this stuff as well. Um, I had worked, some of the clients I'd worked for over the last year, basically I ended up building style guides for their internal team. And while well, we did this at TED and we did this at a few other places mm -hmm. and we ended up doing a similar pattern where we would take, you know, an add-on that we had made internally, like a modal dialogue, but like branded and with the behavior for that team mm -hmm. and then make basically a, a style guide for it using some of the patterns that we had talked about and that came about in freestyle, which is, you know, your dummy app is your documentation, is your test bed, mm -hmm. and that's just such a great thing. And I'm working on add-on docs now, which I hope to use on modal dialogue soon because that's like basically trying to distill all these ideas. And a lot of these ideas are in freestyle as well, right? Yep. Um, so we've kind of been moving along a similar path. Recently, what we've been experimenting with is, is something a little different where we go even lower level and we do things like our paragraph tag and our titles, like our H1s and H2s and H3s, um, are kind of even our components and they're standardized and there's a very limited set of things that you have access to as a developer doing application development so that, you know, you only need like three paragraph styles and you only need three titles. So what's the benefit of having a, a, a paragraph component, say, versus a paragraph tag? I mean, both can have styles, presumably. Um, what's, what do you get? So it came from the journey of going from BEM, mm -hmm. you know, which was nice. But, oh, and this is coming back to my question and why I went on that detour is because BEM is great and you have some global styles and then you have the local styles. And whether you're doing BEM like we did or suit like you do, you basically avoid the cascade. Yeah. And it's nice. Exactly. Big win. But then how the question becomes how do you how do you ensure consistency in your design system? So you have all of these local scoped component styles. And but 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 we found we wanted to stop developers from being able to do padding top seven pixels mm -hmm. and padding top eight pixels and nine pixels and 10 pixels and font size, this and that. And then you end up with something. That's what we felt was like a way, that's where the consistency broke down. Mm -hmm. And so what we, we were thinking that a lot of this was inspired by tachyons, which is like the functional, basically all, all global right. um, utility classes. Mm -hmm. And so you only get, let's say four steps on a font size scale and you use that everywhere. Mm -hmm. and, and that's kind of what we were experimenting with that leads to a lot of classes. So yes, you can style the paragraph tag, but in order to have the Ember Map paragraph tag, it needs like six classes. Yes. So instead, make an Ember, you know, a UI-P component, and that'll mm -hmm. do it for you. So that's that was the idea. But in light of that discussion, how do you do consistent styles? How do you share, you know, sizes and colors across all these local component style definitions? Yeah. So I'll say first that I, I would not say we are experts in that area. Um, we do have a pretty consistent color approach. In fact, we have a dedicated repository called Yap Palette. Um, oh, that cool. is basically nothing but color definitions for the colors, the, the Yap color scheme. Um, and then that uh, project is consumed, just a little NPM module, it's consumed by anything that needs. Is it SAS variables? Yeah, it, okay. it exposes SAS 
variables. Uh, Expose is actually a SAS function called palette. Um, and uh, it's a, so that's, and it's that, but then cascades up to a Yap button repository that's consumed by a lot of different projects. Oh, interesting. Um, How many of these repositories do you have? Not, as, not a ton. So there's Yap Palette, there's Yap Button. We have a repository called Mobile UI, which is basically all of our UI elements that are shared between our mobile app and our editor. I which, see. Since our editor contains a preview of what you're building, there's a lot of that. I see, but those are two different applications. Yes, gotcha. exactly. Both Ember applications? Um, both Ember apps. One runs inside of Cordova, one runs in a desktop web browser. Ah, I see. Um, and so they have different constraints, but it, but when you follow this idea that we were talking about of like this is just, these are just visual components, you how the data gets in there is up to the consuming app. It doesn't matter. Um, and so that's that's been a really powerful uh, time-saving approach. Interesting. How big is your color palette? Do you have like like white off-white, lighter, gray, dark gray. We do have white, yes. Um, I don't know whether that's ever going to change. I don't, I I think white is okay. Um, we have eight, eight greens of gray. Yeah, on Ember Map, we, we started and we got seven eight different grays. Yeah, yeah, I think we have maybe five different grays. Yeah. Um, and then we have a blue, a green, uh, a red. Um, what about when you need like a darker red for a border? Would you just use a function yeah. and just darken? Often do like a ten percent darken mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's, um, so those won't make it into your freestyle style guide. Not as not as colors by themselves. So there will be our a style. Our style guide does have like a color palette where it's just like kind of shows all these colors at the top. Right. And you could easily, by the way, also have things about you know showing you how your H ones are, your P's, right. etc. In freestyle. Um, in freestyle. Right. You wouldn't get the constraining aspect that you described from using components necessarily, but you certainly would get, you know, a visual guide as well as some, you know, some visual regression testing potentially. Right. Um, so, uh, I lost, lost my train of thought. <laughs> so the button doesn't make it in. Right. So the button is, be the button becomes consumed as part of other components. And it will be in the style guide as part of like, let's say, you know, a modal. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's a bunch of variations of the, of the button. The button project has its own freestyle style mm. guide showing all the different states of buttons, which there are, you know, probably 50. So there's, right? there's um, outline and regular and different colors. And yeah. There's, um, you know, disabled, busy, all these things. And is that an Ember add-on? That is a Ember app, yeah. And Ember add-on. Ember, Ember add-on. Gotcha. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but having those having those freestyle style guides kind of within your add-ons, as you were alluding to with Ember mm -hmm. Dialogues feature, is, mm -hmm. is super powerful mm -hmm. because it makes again it makes development and isolation really easy. You have a sand bed, you have a, um, a testing environment. You can set up in any any yeah. way you want. So one of the things thinking about constraints and these components mm -hmm. and our style guides, one thing that we've started doing more recently. Um, is integrating a library called Ember Prop Types into our these visual components. Um, Ember Prop Types is inspired by a React library, I think, called Prop Types, um, and basically it's a way to be declaratively say, "Here's what my component accepts." So my button can take disabled. It can take yes, and they size. It can take color. What happens if you pass in a property that's not? So it's up, it's up to you based on configuration of Ember prop types. Uh, in production, nothing happens, so you, you save yourself. In development, you can choose to have, have it either worn or throw. And we have it on to throw. Um, sometimes that gets, sometimes it's annoying, 
but you know it's annoying because we're doing something that was not intended by not, the author, not intended uh, even if the author was us right. um, and so uh, so in that respect it's been really useful because when something throws like oh right I guess I didn't really think through that use case of what's going to happen if yeah. I do this um, we started doing that more in little ways as well. Ember.assert, is that how you do it? Uh, it's built into Ember prop types, so I don't, ah, I don't gotcha. know how they implement it, but mm -hmm. I do know that it's stripped. If that code doesn't yep. run in, in production, yep. which I don't think, I think is actually stripped out, which is pretty cool. Um, I think that's built into Ember.assert. Cool. And there's even a library that lets you um, write tests that your component will throw or if it fails an assertion, mm -hmm. which is pretty cool. It's cool. a separate library that you can add on. It's called like testing assertions or assertion tester, something like that. Nice. Anyways, we've been doing it in like in repo add-ons and it's, it's a nice way to improve the developer experience for sure. Yeah. I, mean, I knew that we needed something like this because for years I've been writing my components with like, you know, disabled colon null and then comments yes. passed in, yeah, right? <laughs> yep, or something that like too. that. And I'm just like, this is really useless except for as documentation. Yep. Um, and so if if we no longer accept the disabled component, but I still have that line, it's still going to be there confusing some future developer. So this takes that documentation, I just did air quotes, um, and puts it into um, executable code that's right. going to at least execute in development. Right. Uh, and, and I think for me, that's a big win. That's great. Um, the thing that's awkward about it, right, I feel like it has some growing up to do still, this library, is that... Um, the ability to express the type, that you, the thing that you want to accept is surprisingly nuanced. So you might say, for example, well, this is a string and it's required. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, can it be null? Because if it can be null or blank and null and blank are different, right? Mm -hmm. What does required exactly mean? How about if it's an HTML safe string? That, that's a different type. Interesting. Explosion. I see. So there's all these things that just, you know, it doesn't why it doesn't have enough, I think, um, man, developer years of, yeah. uh, you know, kind of experience. Pragmatic defaults yeah. on how people actually use options and configuration values right. and stuff. And a lot of times you say, oh, this is a Ember object. But then when you're testing in freestyle, you want it to be just a Pojo, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, right. So some, some things like that that I think we're still getting used to. But it's still been a big win overall. That's great. And it, basically, it'll, even if it, it will cause a test to fail. Absolutely. So so those are all, if you're rendering these big, you know, your pages have tons of UI components in them, but if any one of those fails, any assertion, any state that's in it will cause a test to fail. Yeah, and that reminds right. me, one of the things that we do in our test suites is we just, we have one test acceptance test that just loads the style guide, mm -hmm. um, which is a oh, nice way to just- cover everything. You cover everything. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, because it renders every variation. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so it's and pretty then, So yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, so on this subject of Ember prop types, um, Chris Lepresto and I have been talking about, um, with some help from some other community members, and talking about like, can we leverage this idea of declaring what properties your components accept into doing some powerful stuff in your style guide automatically? So for example, you know, could you setting up the variations? Yes, or showing you a form with the right kind of pickers to let you t manually tweak and you know, see these different variations in your style guide just by sliding a slider, say, right, right. for different numbers that you're pricing right, in right. or something like that. Nice. Um, which I think is pretty powerful. We do a lot of that stuff by hand right now. So yeah. for example, maybe I have like four different variations of something and they all have is loading versions. So now you're up to, it's like- That could be up to eight, or I could have one checkbox where I can just check it and see them all in the is loading state. 
right? So it's mm-hmm. kind of the trade-off mm-hmm. between how many do you Every want. permutation, right. you know, once you have three options, you're up to with whatever, four times, four times four. Yeah. Um, yeah, we thought about that too. It's interesting. Um, it made me think, just as you were talking about the prop types, one, one thing I've seen in the React community, which they were using in prop types a lot, but I think they're starting to use types in Flow or TypeScript mm-hmm. and replacing prop types. Interesting. Have you done any TypeScript stuff yet? Not yet. Yeah, can't speak yeah. to that yet. But, but that's kind of interesting because it's really getting at a similar problem. Definitely. I mean, I could see having like a Java background way back, um, the idea of being able to declare this thing I'm passing in as an interface as a, to a component. Like, I don't care what it is, but it's got to have these three properties. Right. Um, that, like, that would be, seems like it'd be pretty powerful. Um, and so, and I would, would imagine that's what TypeScript support. support. Yep, yep. I think a lot of this comes back to constraints and how we can constrain our development environment more. I mean, for me, that's a big thing, a theme of my thinking on this over the last year and just our discussions is like, how can we limit when you're going to build a feature? Do you need access? Do you need to be thinking about all 20 HTML tags and all 200 CSS rules and all possible values? Or is there a way I can just look at a drawer of things that I know work in my app mm-hmm. and piece them together at a much higher level? I, I've never. Have you ever done any iOS development? Yeah. It, do some the standard library has higher level things, right? A ton of higher level stuff. Navigation yeah. controller. I mean, we, so I, I've written a lot of um, Ember, I've written, you know, Ember apps that basically emulate iOS UI. And let me tell you, making those components is way more work. Than just, just dropping in yes. the, the, an actual iOS component. There's yep. reasons we did it, blah blah blah. But it's um, yeah, you get an amazing amount out of the box. You have they come. It comes with constraints. You can't necessarily do anything you want with these things. But um, they have got, they've gotten pretty flexible that, over here. You get here. to be yeah. very productive. Exactly. And make something that looks great and, and consistent great. across the UI. Right. When iOS versions change, this component might look a little bit different in the new version to conform to how the rest of the system looks. Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. You know, they have pros and cons, but right. largely they're a benefit for most consumers of them. Right. Very interesting. Uh, but yeah, but I think this idea of constraints is huge. Uh, and, and I think like w- when you're doing refactoring, for example, you know, the fewer possibilities that you have of right where something might be used, the easier it is to refactor it. Yes. Um, and the, and sometimes it's some there's some things in JavaScript and some things in Ember where it's impossible to know where yeah. something might be getting consumed, and those are the more difficult, scary things to change versus the things where oh, I have this component that has per- perfect isolation, right. and I feel can feel free to change anything inside of it as long as I'm not changing things that have contracts with the outside world. Right. Um, and so I think I think it's a great philosophy to like look for where else can we do that within the ecosystem. Where can we build constraints into our development? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, yeah, we noticed that even with our just our first foray into the UI components and just saying that we have these three titles, we know they're used in these three ways, so we can change them. Mm-hmm. And we'll know it'll be consistent change everywhere. We won't have some extraneous H2 with an F5 and some something over here, you know, that looks weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really great. Cool. Sweet. Uh, man, that was awesome. There's so much here. I think there's like five more threads we could go on. <laughs> I'm sure. And keep talking, so we'll have to do this again soon. But um, I will definitely link to all the stuff we talked about, Suit CSS, Ember Freestyle, um, anything else you can think of. Ember Prop Types. We Ember Prop Types. Put in the show links. Absolutely. You guys have show links yet? Uh, <laughs> we don't. Well, once we get a podcast, is the first step. Okay. Getting a podcast. <laughs> 
Baby steps. Right? Baby steps. Luke was like pulling out his phone. He's like, oh, can I subscribe to this? I was like, no, we don't have a podcast. <laughs> We're just going to report, record a podcast episode. <laughs> um, before, before we take off, where can uh, folks find you? Uh, I'm Luke Melia on Twitter. It's L-U-K-E-M-E-L-I-A. Um, that's a good spot. And uh, you can check out the Yap Labs organization on GitHub for the various open source stuff that we maintain. I'm always looking for help on that stuff. So um, if anybody wants to, uh, to chip in. But, um, oh, and then Ember CLI Deploy is another project that I work, work a bunch on uh, with a great, great group of folks from around the world. Um, and uh, that's at the Ember CLI Deploy org on GitHub. Nice. Yeah, I know we've gotten tons of value out of the App Labs open source over the years. You guys, all your libraries are super high quality. So um, I see them showing up in a lot of Ember Map screencasts. So I was like, hey, you know that library? <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, all right, well, Luke, thanks again for taking yeah, the time. Yeah, Ryan, Sam, thank you. It's oh, been awesome. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, subscribing to the podcast one day. <laughs> all right, sounds good. Thanks. Thanks.